0: Here's Pastor Scott. But this morning we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 1 for our text. And in verse 12 of chapter 1, the Bible says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, I Haven't Always Been Like This. Before I even pray, because if you've been here more than once, you know it's my habit to pray now. But before I even pray, I want to say, if you're here and you're saved at all, This is your story. If you're here and you're saved a little bit, this is your story that you haven't always been like this. Amen? Pray with me. God, thank you for transformation. God, thank you for the born-again experience. God, thank you for your spirit that brings life to us and your son who purchased our redemption on Calvary. God, I thank you for the efficacy of his blood, and I pray, God, that today... As I preach, you'd strengthen my body, God, anoint my mouth and my mind to say things that would honor you, God. I pray that you would save the lost today, heal the hurting, and deliver the backslider in Jesus' name. Amen. I haven't always been like this. Every middle part of July since we started this church 19 years ago, I have preached a similar sermon to what I will tell you today. It is a sermon of my personal testimony. Say testimony. Testimonies are big, and and, and here's the thing. There are liars on TV that want your money. They call themselves preachers, pastors, prophets, apostles, bishops. Uh, They don't call themselves liars, hucksters, con artists, and beggars. But I, I, I think they could. Some of them are, are great men and women of God. So some of them are not. But the ones that are telling you that life is going to be all um, fine and dandy with hard rock candy are lying to you. People that are telling you there'll be no more tests, there'll be no more hardship. The Bible says uh, we'll always have trouble when we're, as long as we're in this life. Uh, God said, count it not a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, not which may try you. But I I have come to learn, and I know many of you have come to learn as well, that for those of us who trust in the Lord, our test can become part of our testimony. Amen? And I want to talk to you about that a little bit this morning. The passage of Scripture I just read to you uh, was where God had inspired the Apostle Paul to make this writing to Timothy, which is the Word of God for us today, and I stand before you sure of this. Uh, in God's kingdom, Paul was a great man, a notable figure, uh, a man that loved God and was used of God mightily. God used him to write half of the New Testament, and, and, and he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Be followers of me, even as I follow christ now that doesn't mean paul was perfect and he wasn't trying to get people to be paulites he was trying to get people to be christians but what he was saying is if you'll walk the way i'm walking if you'll head in the direction i'm heading you'll find jesus too i hope that can be said of your life i hope that you listen if nobody in this room wants the three worst minutes of their life played on that screen do you I mean, if you do volunteer, I'll, I'll put them up there next week. We'll just go through it. But you got to be honest. That's why none of us. See, I, I believe everybody in this room is smarter than the people who are currently running for president. I believe that because we don't want all our dirt splashed on TV. We don't want to have to stand up here. How, how, how many of y'all have ever, if you had more than, more than one child, how many of y'all ever got worked up talking on the phone distra- and, and called the one child by the wrong child's name? You know, if you do that, if you're running for president, you do that. They they label you an idiot, mentally uh, off. You know, just you you just your mind is shot and gone. Um, Why are we talking about that? That's how gone I am. (laughs) We all have a story. And we don't need to know, uh, here's why we're talking about that, because a testimony, I've seen testimonies on TV that are not what God would have us to have a testimony. A testimony is not two hours of some long-haired hippie rock star talking about all the fun he had chasing the world, the devil, and drugs, and then, you know, a minute and a half of, and then I found Jesus, come on, give God praise, and let's take an offering. That, that, that's not a testimony. A testimony is, uh, is where you share what you've been through and how God changed you. And I, I'm certain of this. I haven't always been like this. There was a time in my life when I wasn't a Christian. And if you're here and you're saved, there was a time in your life where you was not a Christian. If you meet somebody and they tell you they've always been a Christian and you're not talking to Jesus, then they are wrong. Because the Bible says you must be born again. There's got to be a time and a place in your life where you had a personal encounter with God. And I'm going to talk to you about mine this morning. Before I get into that, I wonder if you could agree with me that life can be weird. Life is weird. Life is challenging. Life is difficult. We all have different struggles and different triumphs. Uh, You can be having the best day of your life one day, followed by the worst day of your life the next day. You ever seen it like that? This week, uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday, July 15th, will be the celebration of the greatest day in my life. Now, if someone asks you the greatest day in your life, you know, if you really love you some you, you might tell them it's your birthday because you celebrate your birthday all month long. That's extra special people. You know, some people want to celebrate their birthday. Some people want to celebrate their birthday weekend. Some people want to celebrate their birthday week. You're extra special if you want to celebrate your birthday month. But that's, that's not the greatest day of my life. Some people say the day they got married, that's big time. Some people say the day that they saw their first child be born, that's major. Some people will say the day they saw their first grandchild uh, be born. But I want to tell you unequivocally, without question, and, and nothing comparable, the greatest day of my life was July 15, 1981, when I met God for real. So every year, July 15th, has just been this massive deal for me. Uh, that, because when I got saved on July 15, 1981, God supernaturally, radically changed my life. And, and if you have salvation, that's your testimony. If you have salvation, there was a time where you used to be one way, and then God saved you, and you began to be a different way. That's what the Scripture tells us. If you're really in Christ, you become a new so july 15th always was such a big day in my life every year july 15th just i'm just celebration thanks to god my spiritual birthday the anniversary of the day i received christ and and this wednesday july 15th will be my 39th spiritual birthday and i give god praise for that if i live to see it so july 15th Always such a massive day of celebration. I told you one day you can be having the best day of your life, followed by the next day, uh, be the worst day of your life. 14 years ago, this week, July 15th was was my spiritual birthday, and July 15th my wife passed from colon cancer. And so now this week has become uh, different, different for me. Now there's there's, there's celebration and angst and and. I know many of you can testify that uh, you you think about those who have gone by on on sometimes every day, but definitely on certain days And, and certain anniversaries and certain holidays. But I want you to know whether you're having a good day, bad day, happy day, or sad day, God loves you. He's on the throne. He's got a great plan for your life, and he's coming back one day for his children. He, Paul's doing all these cool things. He's, he's serving God. He's going to prison, going to jail. He's, been, he's being persecuted. Uh, listen, that's the life of a Christian. And, and so, hey, buckle in because God's got a, a great ride for you. You need to get on it. He, he did all these cool things for God, but in verse 13 of our text, he said, I used to be a blasphemer. I, I love that we're an X-rated church. Think about it. We're an X-rated church. Now I don't mean X-rated. Get your mind out of the gutter. Now some of y'all got all that. I'm not talking about the movie system. We're an X-rated church in the fact that we've got some ex-alcoholics in the room. We got some ex-drug addicts in the room. We got some ex-pimps and hoes in the room. We got some ex-liars and gossips in the room. We got some ex-worldly people in the room. We got some ex-twerkers in the room. See, because we used to be one way, but when God saved us, we became a different way. Now, our church is open to everybody. And listen, when you let anybody come in, guess who comes in? Yeah. Uh, and we're still always going to be a church for all people. We're going to be a church. We, we, don't, we don't judge. We don't look down. We, listen, I expose myself as imperfect. Amen. I'm I'm an imperfect person serving a perfect God. If you're saved, you're an imperfect person serving a perfect God. We don't hold up a a, a fake pedestal for no preacher, no minister here. Uh, We only put God on the throne, and we let everybody come as they are. But listen, you ain't supposed to stay as you are. I want this testimony to become your testimony where you will truly be able to say to God, I wasn't always like that. I wouldn't always, I love it when I have, uh, I I, I call them my reassurance moments. You ever have a reassurance moment where somebody does you, tries you so hard, somebody steps to you so wrong, some situation in your life happens so bad, and you respond with the kindness and the grace and the love and the goodness of God, and then you think about that for a second, and you say, man, I know I'm saved. Because back in the day, that would have went different. Anybody agree, you, you know, I, you, you was one way, but na- that's the life of a real Christian. Paul, greatest Christian ever lived outside Jesus Christ, said he was a blasphemer. I want you to know God's still saving blasphemers. He said he was the head sinner, God still saving big sinners. He, see, I, I think the key to, to what Paul had going on is he remembered what he used to be. And he was thankful for what he had become. He remembered where he used to be, and he was glad for what God had done in his life. If I could get five people in this room to live with an awareness that I haven't always been this way, that I haven't always had this hope, that I hadn't always had God's love in my life, if you could carry that from day to day, it changed your world. Oh, we still have sad days. We still have grief. Don't get me wrong. I'm a living example. We still have struggle and pain, but the Bible says we who are saved, we grieve not as others who have no hope. I want you to let God change you, and if you've been changed, I want you to never get over. See, he never forgot, and he never got over what God did to him on a road to Damascus one day. And everywhere Paul went, he told his testimony to people, and I want you Uh, to get this this morning. Here's what I want you to get out of this morning. I want you to understand that you need to be sharing your story everywhere you go. The Bible says we have these stories for our examples. If we do the things that the blessed people in the Bible did, we'll be blessed. If we do the things that the cursed people in the Bible did, we'll be cursed. Paul told his story everywhere because he was excited about it. This is what people mean when they tell me, Pastor, I just wish I could get as fired up as I was when I used to be. I wish I could be as happy as I was when I first got saved. What happened is they forgot or they got over what God did for him because they quit telling their story. They quit sharing their testimony. Uh, Paul tells his story to Festus, the governor, in Acts chapter 22. Then in Acts 26, he tells his testimony to King Agrippa. And I'm going to read to you, and, and listen, it's not a short passage of Scripture, but the Bible is worth reading. Even in this hot room. Even with a hurt back, even with sweat rolling down my back from the pain. I don't know if this is just me. Is, Is it just me? Does anybody sweat when they're in pain? I mean, do you ever just have a pain sweat just come on you? Okay, thank God for three people besides me. I thought I had a medical condition. I want you to hear the word of the Lord and let God speak to you. I want you to hear Paul share his testimony because we need to do. If you do what they did, you can have what they had. And this man had great peace and power with God. In Acts 26, 1, the Bible says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. In verse 2, he says, I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you're the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. Now, that is what I call a shot. Say shot. That's a little That's a a little shot Paul just threw at Festus because he already told Festus this story, but Festus didn't catch it. Festus, the governor, he's already heard this story. Uh, Now Paul's up on charges again, and he's like, thank God I'm talking to you and not him. Now, he didn't come right out and say, this is a teaching point right here, he didn't come right out and say, "Uh, hey, judge, I'm glad that you're my judge because the last three judges I stood before was ignorant and stupid. There's a right way and a wrong way to say stuff to people in authority, right? So he says, man, I'm fortunate, King, that you're the one here in my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. Verse 3 said, for I know that you're an expert in all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. Now, I told you there's a right way and a wrong way to speak to people in authority. But when you're speaking for God, you will have a confidence to what you say. This is what the Scripture says, that you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be witnesses. This is the thing. People think that God gave us His Spirit so we we, we could play with spiritual gifts. God uh, God gave us His Spirit to empower us with spiritual gifts, but He uh, he primarily gave us His Spirit to give us a boldness to speak on His behalf. And you see this boldness when He says, now look here, King, I'm going to need you to be patient for a hot minute. Verse 4, he says, as the Jewish leaders are well aware. Now they're standing. It's what I call a shot. Again, my man Paul not scared of these people because he knows live or die, he's going to heaven. And so they're all sitting there listening. He already got in on Festus a little bit. Now he's going to get on these Jewish leaders that are that are his accusers. He says, as the Jewish leaders are well aware, that's like the lawyer saying. As 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 the As the prosecution team is well aware, their case is bogus and a lie. Here's where we're at. Get the scene in your mind. Uh, He says, As they're well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If you don't know the life of Paul, he came from wealth, privilege, Uh, he's one of the very few highly successful people in the Bible. And in God's kingdom, because God said he didn't choose many mighty, many noble, or many wise people, but he chose the lesser things to confound the wise. How many of y'all know God saved ragged people like us to make people scratch their head? Paul was, Paul was one, of, one of those on the other side that came in to God's kingdom. He had a great education. He had, uh, he had power and privilege. And in verse 5, he says, If they would admit it, they know I've been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest set of our religion. He had elevated to the highest level of that religious circle in verse 6 he said now i'm on trial of my hope in the fulfillment of god's promise made to our ancestors in fact that is why the 12 tribes of israel zealously worship god night and day and share the same hope i have yet your majesty they accuse me of having this hope now this hope is in the resurrection and paul was going around telling people jesus was raised from the dead and they said paul is a blasphemer and paul's like we've been telling this story forever Our religions believed this way before me. You're accusing me now of what I already told you. In verse 8, he said, why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I hope you believe God can raise the dead. This is the God we serve. In verse 9, he said, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers, there to be sent to prison and cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Listen, Paul was the original hater. He carried around a bucket of hater aid with him and he caused people to pour hate as he went. He persecuted the church, he was anti Jesus. Listen, I want to tell you something. And, and here's just a message for some of y'all. This is also called a shot. You ready? Here's a message you can go from being a Jesus hater to being a Jesus lover. That, that was the setup for the shot. Here's the shot. You can go from being a bigot and a racist on your way to hell to loving people that don't look like you. Paul said, hey, I used to be all these things. I, I, used, I, used, I used to do some bad stuff, King. He, he, he said, I didn't put, put people to death just for believing in Jesus. Verse 11, he said, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. I have known friends of mine who were good men who went to these little, you know, denominational churches. And if you're a denominational person, that's fine. I don't believe God believes in denomination. That just divides us. I believe in unity, not division. One person said amen. I've had pastor friends of mine that were good men that went and applied for a job at the pulpit search committee and they picked apart their past and said we don't think that you are qualified to be our pastor and I I, I, one one brother was telling me this I said man you should have told them what's so special about y'all I wish they had said that to me because I would have asked them let's get into you a little bit let's see where you've been what you've done what you're doing and, but here, could you imagine Paul sitting down today in the 2020 way? Listen, I thank God that I came to this church different. Uh, I, I came to this church, uh, founded this church, start, started it from scratch. We had 16 people and a handful of children. God said start a church. I, they, they called me. I didn't go by myself. Let me tell you, just a side note. Here's how you know if something is legit. Every real minister of God was either called to something or sent to something. Read the Bible. A group of people called them in, or a group of people sent them out. You got to be called, you got to be sent. I, I was serving God at a church, effectively. Uh, the 16 people called me, said they wanted me to come uh, and provide some leadership for them. I asked my church, they sent, I was called, and I was sent. And so here's what I want you to do. If you ever move, transfer, transition, leave, uh, get up and go, remember this. It's a good cliche to remember when you're talking about preachers, pastors, and ministries, some were called, some were sent, some just packed up their junk and went. Nobody in the Bible, listen, these haters out there that started their own deal don't trust that. But but Paul was out there persecuting God, then God called him to pastor. Then a group of people laid hands on him, received him. Barnabas embraced him. Barnabas stood up for him, introduced him to the apostles. The apostles extended the right hand of Christian fellowship to him, ordained him, and embraced him. you you got to have some ordination behind you. I'm so tired of these people on the Internet. Let me tell you, if you want to be an ordained pastor, go online today to Fake Pastors R Us, get you a piece of paper for $25, and you can do weddings in the state of Florida. And god got a special place in hell for you. That's a different message. Let me get back to where I'm at. In verse 12, he said, One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. So here's Paul, hater aid in hand, working for the man, persecuting Christians, putting them to death, throwing them in prison for doing nothing other than going to church and and, and claiming the name of Jesus. He had the authority. And the power behind it, verse 13, he said, about noon, your majesty, I was on the road. A light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. Now, let me just ask you this. We've been studying creation. We've been studying the book of the beginning. We've been reading the book of Genesis. We, we, we saw when God created the heaven and the earth, and, and we saw that God put the two lights in the sky, the greater light. That's the what? The lesser light is the... Sun and the moon and all the stars, the Bible says, now brighter than the sun. In your history of being on this planet, when did you ever see a light brighter than the sun? That don't exist in the natural. Do, do, do some scientific research. This is the brightest light that you he said. I saw a light that was brighter than the sun. Verse 14, he said, We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic. I, I want you to catch this. He said, we all fell down, but I heard a voice. You didn't hear me. He said, we all fell down, and I heard a voice. See, everybody in this room but me right now sitting down. But everybody ain't hearing God talk. You got to want to hear God talk. I've had people tell me, well, if so-and-so has the gift of healing, why don't they go to a hospital and just clear out the cancer ward? Because that ain't how ministry works. Jesus didn't live in hospitals clearing out cancer wards and leper wars, uh, wards. Jesus, as he went, come across uh, sick and diseased people and those that wanted it. He had blind people come up to him, and they're like, oh, my Lord, my Lord, help me. And here's Jesus. What you want? Now, if I'm thinking, I, my, my, kids, my kids say that to me when I'm having a senior moment. They're like, context clues, Dad they say something I'll look at them and be like, what? What do you mean? Context. Deep blind people come up to Jesus, and, but he said, You gotta want to hear from God. You gotta want to be touched by He Paul, Paul is out there. He he wants to be who God wants him to be. He's just on the wrong path. He said, We all fell down, and I heard a voice to me in Aramaic. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless. For you to fight against my will. I want to speak to every unsaved person in this room right now. Every unsaved person listening to this recorded message. Every unsaved person listening on the internet. This message is, uh, we we have over 60 countries. Listen, we, we got almost more countries listening than we got people coming. We got almost 60 countries downloading these messages. And I want every unsaved person that hears the sound of my voice to understand this well. It is useless for you to fight against God's will. Oh, if we had the time and the patience in here, I could give the microphone to, to to some people in this room, and they could tell you, nobody ever thought I'd be saved. I could give the microphone to some people in this room that would tell you, oh, man, I, I was running from God. I, I wasn't trying to hear that about God. Well, Paul is out there. Paul's original name was Saul. God touched him, changed his life, gave him a new name. That's a, that's a, That's a great story in and of itself but he said it's useless for me to fight some of y'all fighting against you know God wants to save you what you waiting on you know God has a plan for your life what you waiting on well I'm not ready listen the Bible says if you wait for a perfect season you'll never plant your crop you 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 got to stop fighting against God in verse 15 Paul said who are you Lord now when A first century Hebrew said the word Lord. It's not like we say Lord today in America. There was a meaning behind the word Lord that they understood then, especially Paul, because he was raised in all Hebrew schools and had an excellent training, and he understood what Lord signified. Lord signified the one sent from God, God come in the flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of all mankind, not just, oh, my Lord. So Paul is now recognizing who it is that's talking to him. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus. If I had a long time and I was wanting to stay in this text, I could stay here forever right now. Because the Lord identifies who he is. And there is but one Lord. And his name is Jesus. So Jesus declares to him who he is. I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now, get to your feet, for I have appointed you, appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world that you have seen what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. I want to tell you something. The reason why God saved me and kept me on the planet this long, the same reason if you're saved, God saved you and kept you on the planet this long. So we can go and tell people how great God is. So we can go and tell people this is what God did in my life. Verse 17, he said, I will rescue you both from your own people and the Gentiles. Period. Every time I teach, I tell you to pay attention to the punctuation. Pause on punctuation. Take the Bible in bite-sized pieces. Get it down in your spirit. Understand it. Don't just read it. Let it fly over your head. Jesus, the Lord, has revealed himself in a miraculous fashion to the Apostle Paul, and he said, I'm going to rescue you from your people and the Gentiles. As soon as this Hebrew man heard Gentiles, listen, you think we got racial division in America? Hmm. I heard somebody say something finally uh, brought tears to my eyes yesterday because the news will drive you crazy. The news wants to divide us. If you watch five minutes of Fox News, you're going to leave uh, upset with a whole group of people. And then you flip it over to CNN, you're going to be upset with a whole different group of people. And their job is to try to prove to us that we are so divided as a nation, that, that, that er, er, every cop is a murderer, that every white person is a racist. That, do you know the number one selling book in America right now uh, is, is a book called White Fragility that's teaching every white person in the world is a racist and hates black people? I want to stand up today and say that's a lie. I know a white person that don't hate black people. They, they want to make it out like every black person uh, is, is some type of criminal and thug. I know black people that never been arrested. Even after getting pulled over seven times in one year. <laughs> when he heard this word Gentile, listen, that's code in Hebrew for the N word. Isn't that right? Somebody that knows the Bible agree with me. There was racial hatred. Listen, they hated each other so much they wouldn't walk on the same side of the street. You think we're divided as a country? Look around. We ain't as divided as the news try to make us out to be. You you, you think there's such racial hatred in America? You think, listen, if if you believe all that foolishness, why are over a million people trying to crash our borders right now and get in this country? If America's such a horrible country founded on such horrible systems and beliefs, why are the whole world trying to crash our gate? When he heard Gentile, he looked at him side eye. <laughs> don't say that in my presence. I don't abide with them folk. And then he said, Yes, comma, which means chew on that. I am sending you to the Gentiles. Now, this is extreme. I don't have time to preach it, but I got you, you got to know. This, this dude was a Hebrew. Of the Hebrews the Bible says this dude was thick in it if if uh, if you walked past them you had to go home and have ceremonial cleansing rituals and give a special offering to the priest and 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 get cleansed just because you breathed the same air as one of them black folk ain't the original them black folk ain't the original those people Gentiles is the original them, and he told them, yep, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. This is like telling, uh, you know, the local clansmen, uh, uh, God telling the local Klansmen, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to send you to minister to black folk in Compton. <laughs> or this is like God telling the, 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 the local black Panther, new Black Panther Party leader, Look that brother up on YouTube screaming, some of y'all going to have to kill some cracker babies. we got to take this thing serious. That's like taking that young brother, confused as he is, saving him and saying, I'm going to send you to Pontevedra Beach and let you minister to rich white folk. See, over here we say Ponte. We, we take that word. See, if you're from here, you know it's P-O-N-T-E. That's where all the rich people live in North Florida. Ponte. We, we call it Pontevedra, They call it Pantavedra. I'm going to tell you something. God has a plan for your life. Sometimes it's going to shake your mind. And God is shaking his mind right here and in verse 18. He said, yeah, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so King Agrippa He's back to his lawyering now because he's lawyering on his own behalf. I don't recommend it, but Paul was smart enough to do it. He said, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that almost repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Verse 21 says, Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. I love that part. I believe there was a side eye right there, too. That little section over there. They tried to kill me. Let me tell you something. Nobody going to kill you till God's done with you. No disease going to take you out till God's done with you. No sickness, no virus going to stop you until God is done with you. Paul understood this. How do we not? He said they, 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 they. Hey, he meant that. Some people get excited. Who you calling they? He meant that. He meant it how he said it. They, they tried to kill me. Verse 22, he said, but God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone. Now, if it is true, and it is, that we have these stories for our example, and God protected Paul up to this present time so he can testify to everyone, guess what God wants us to do? Testify to who? Everyone. From the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen verse 23 he said that the messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce god's light to jews and gentiles alike suddenly festus shouted now festus backtrack to the the context festus is a governor he's already heard this speech before he's already heard this speech before and he don't fly with him and and festus said he shouts out this ain't even his courtroom he ain't the judge He he ain't the lawyer he's sitting on the side He's just some political figure sitting on the side. He, t- he, sh- he shouts, Paul, you're insane. That is for everyone in this room. I'm going to tell you why. If you ever really fall in love with God, you're going to have some haters tell you you've lost your mind. If you ever really fall in God, you're going to have some haters tell you you are beside yourself and they take leave of your natural senses. He said too much study has made you crazy. Festus knew he couldn't out-talk Paul because Paul already stood before his courtroom. Festus knew he couldn't out-logic Paul because Paul already stood in his courtroom. Festus knew he couldn't out-rationalize and out-reason Paul because Paul had all the facts and the right on his side. So now he goes to attacking him. He's like, yeah, you smart, dog, but you just crazy out your head. Verse 25, he said, but Paul replied, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. (laughs) I love me some Paul. Y'all know what I call that? That was a shot. He said, I ain't insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. Now, that's also what I call a what? What y'all want to bet Festus was a what? Alcohol, drunk. He's like, you calling me and saying, I ain't ain't the one up in here drunk. Verse 26, King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure all these events are familiar with him, for they were not done in a corner. See, King Agrippa is not a Jew. But he's an educated man, and he knows all their customs. He knows about the Messiah. He knows about the promise of salvation. He knows about the, the Jewish belief that God loved them the most, and he was going to send a Savior uh, from the line of King David to reestablish the throne of David in Israel, and the whole world would worship him. And, 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 and all, all these stories Agrippa knew uh, and, and because they, this, all, it was all common teaching. Verse 27, he said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Question mark. And then before he lets him answer, he says, I know you do. That's how you, ought, that's how you ought to treat your unsaved family members. How many of y'all know living with an unsaved person can be rough? Living with a saved person who don't love God as much as you can be rough. Listen, here's how you know that God is, God is working on them. If, if they ever look at you and say, oh, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. That, that, that's, that, that's when they're getting upset at their lack of Christianity. When they call you holier than thou, they're not mad that you're holier than thou. They're just mad that you're holier than them. When they say, oh, is that what you're learning down there at that church? You, you could look at them at that point. Now, there's a different way to go, but you could look at them and say, you really believe it, don't you? You really believe it, don't you? That's why you're upset. I got a friend I grew up with. He's an atheist. I tell him all the time. I said, you're not an atheist. You're so mad at God right now in your Catholic upbringing. Uh, If you were just an atheist, God wouldn't bother you. If you didn't believe there was a God, you ain't mad about the Easter Bunny. Me and him get on a talk on religion, his blood pressure gets up. We start talking about God, he gets elevated and making his defense. Listen, anybody ever tries to make a defense against God? God is working on them because you don't have to defend what you don't believe in. You'll never have a conversation with somebody, the Easter bunny comes up. Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, ho, let me just tell you, I do not believe in the Easter bunny. Okay, no, you need to understand. And they go into some big long speech about how bogus and fake and phony the Easter bunny is. Uh, uh, the Easter bunny must be working on them. Paul said, hey, king, do you believe the prophets? Then before he let him answer, he said, I know you do. Listen, there's some unsaved people in this room right now. You already believe the story. You already know the facts. You already have the information. You just don't have the salvation. Scarish passage in the whole Bible is found in Matthew chapter 7 on Judgment Day. The Bible says we're all going to stand before God and uh, for judgment, the Bible says it's appointed unto us once to die and after this, the judgment. Some people are going to stand before God. And Matthew chapter 7 says they'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, uh, depart from me for I never knew you. And then they'll say, but Lord. Too late now. You should have said, Lord, here. But Lord, I, I prophesied in your name. I, I, I did wonderful works. I, I was a miracle. They did all these things. But I sang in the choir. But my, my mother's brother's auntie's grandfather laid the cornerstone in the big church downtown. I've had people tell me that. I was asking a man one time, are you a Christian? He said, I hope so. Wrong answer. That's like, you know, that's like somebody, you know, saying, uh, are, are, are you sure you're not pregnant? And she says, I hope so. <laughs> Got it? Let me you on this side. Some of y'all are too familiar with that. And so I, I, I dug deeper, and, and that's, what, that's what he finally told me. Oh, my, my cousin's nephew's cousin's sister, third removed, twice on the uncle's side, great-grandfather's brother's sister's father laid the cornerstone on the big church downtown. I asked this man if he was a Christian. He went at all that. Uh-uh. There's one way to become a Christian, to have the information. A lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the difference between your head and your heart. You know the information. It's just not living on the inside of you. The Bible says that when we become saved, the spirit of God moves inside of us and takes up residence in our body. And if you don't have that, you don't have salvation. See, I had church way before I had salvation. Some of y'all are right there still. Verse 28, Agrippa interrupted him and said, oh, whoa, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? You think I'm going to come to your church one time, fall out, and give my heart to Jesus? Yes. Paul replied, whether quickly or not. I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience, side eye, side eye, uh, hmm, everybody in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. He said, don't look at my outside, look at my inside. I want you to be like me, not like me on the outside. I want you to be like me on the inside. What is that? Say, believing in in Jesus. And I want you to know that this morning on July 12th, 2020, I want everybody in this audience to be just like me not not my not my same shade of refuse to go out in the sunshine pale. not 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 my frame of you know I tell I tell y'all all all the time everybody can't be six foot two 220 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal somebody got to be five foot nine and a half cute and cuddly I think that back surgery took the half though don't tell nobody (laughs) The Army said I was 5'10". The Army needs a new measuring stick. But it is my prayer that you would become like me. What I mean, listen to me. In all seriousness, with all my frailty and all my imperfections, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved my soul. I know that he changed me. I know that I'm born again this morning. And I want you to have that same testimony that you know that you know that you know. That there is no doubt. It's not a hope so. The Bible says these things have been written to us that we might know that we have eternal life. This Wednesday is going to be my 39th spiritual birthday. Jesus said, you must be born again. When one of the religious leaders came to Jesus in St. John's Gospel, Chapter 3, he was trying to find out what's the real deal. How How do I really get this, what you're talking about? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, you know, he's just, he's unsaved, he don't know all this lingo, and he's like, I got to go back in my mother's belly and come back out, How, how do I do that, I'm grown, she can't fit me, he said, no, you're thinking natural, I'm talking about spiritual, you have to have a new birth, just like you were born into the natural realm, Uh, You got to be born into the spirit realm. Some of y'all sitting in churches thinking that you're going to become a Christian by osmosis. You're just going to by and by gather Christianity. That's not how it happens. Let me assure you this. It don't matter how long the lead up in, there there is a moment of conception. It don't matter how long the labor is, there is a moment. They write it down, 8.14 a.m. They write that moment down on a birth certificate. There's a moment of salvation that just like you had a natural birth, I was born on August 6, August 1963. I was born again on July 15th, 1981. But say weird to say 1900, don't it? Some of y'all never knew. My kids never knew a 19, how many people in the room? How many people in the room never knew 1900? Y'all don't even remember 1900. Listen, in First Peter 3:15. The Bible says, but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You ought to always be ready to tell somebody your story. You ought to be always ready to tell somebody why it is that you do what you do, believe what you believe. Why would a group of people uh, that could sleep in on Sunday morning, get up, drive to 4401 Georgetown Drive to worship God in a dirt parking lot uh, with, with an imperfect building uh, be, being talked to from the perfect word of God by an infer, imperfect preacher. Because God saved us. Amen. Because we love God and we love people. There's power in your testimony. You ought to always be able to give a reason. I'm going to give you mine real quick. I want you to listen to my story. I grew up in church. I was in church from the third day on life. I, I grew up into a very Catholic home. Uh, my, family, my family was steeped in Catholicism. I, I was born as a Catholic. And listen, according to the Pope, if you're born Catholic, you're Catholic forever, okay? Uh, I, I was christened as a Catholic, raised in the Catholic Church. But when my parents got divorced in 1970, when I was about 7 years old, 71, 8 years old, uh, back then, they were still saying the last in Latin. Could you? Uh, the mass in Latin. I got, I got my merge wixed. I said the last in Latin. Uh, they were still saying the mass. And like, could you imagine? Some of y'all don't understand my, my grammar and, and my accent. But could you imagine if you came to church and all, all they did was talk in a language you didn't understand? But they did this when you're supposed to sit up and they did stand up. And that when you're supposed to sit. That was Catholic church. Some of y'all old enough, y'all, y'all remember that. And, and, and the only thing they ever said, and nobody knows what it meant. But they said it so much that you walked out of there thinking, well, glorious biscuits and dominus potterie church is over but back then the catholic church was so divorce hating and let me tell you something god forgives all sin even divorce that's a message for somebody right there the catholic church didn't understand that they kicked out everybody they didn't want to sit down and say who's the victim who's the perpetrator they threw us all out of the catholic church so we did what the rest of the world did we joined the baptist church i rode the bus to church uh, as a little kid because I was one of those that was sent to church uh, I, I don't believe that people ought to get on drugs but there is one kind of drug problem every young person ought to have you ought to be drugged to church listen listen to me parents your children don't want to come to church drag them to church make them come to church they're going to eat in your house they're going to come to church they need to be drugged to church I was sent there's a difference people get wayward quicker when they were, I was sent to church. My, my, my mother gave up on all hopes of anything to do with God. But I was born, people ask me everywhere I go, my kids would be my witness. People ask me everywhere I go, they look at me like this and they're like, Where are you from? That's code for your accent is so thick. I need to know where you develop that way of speaking. And so sometimes I just throw them off because this, the, this is God's heaven truth So on my birth certificate, Oh, I, I tell them, oh, you mean my accent? Yeah, I was, I was born in San Diego, California. So I'm Southern, Southern Cal, like a Southern accent. From, but this God's heaven true. Uh, as a child, small child, I lived in rural Louisiana on a farm where my mama's family uh, grew up. And then when I was five years old, we moved to England. So when people wonder where my accent is from, uh, I'll I'll let you pick one of these three places. It's either from Southern California, rural Louisiana, or England. (laughs) But then we moved. When my parents got divorced, we left England. Uh, I went to kindergarten, first, second grade in England. They got divorced. We came back to America lived in abject poverty, lived with family members. My mother had never worked. Finally, child support started kicking in. She got her own house. I was raised in a single parent home. My mother kept swapping, out, my mom kept swapping out boyfriends and husbands. And uh, my life was tumultuous as a child. Uh, but we eventually moved, ended up, she, she married her uh, second husband and we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. But before that, we were living in Virginia and I was riding the bus To this church called Grace Brethren Church. And that was the Virginia version of Southern Baptist. And riding the bus to church as a little kid. I was just going because I had friends that were going. I was going because my sister was going. I was going because it gave me something to do. But it was in the fourth grade. I was in the fourth grade. uh, Second year back in America. And when the preacher said. Everybody in this room that don't want to go to hell. Come down this aisle and pray this prayer. And I thought. Well, what kind of fool? He wants to go to hell. I'm getting up walking with the rest of these people. I saw a bunch of people walking down the aisle. I'm like, I'm not sitting here going to hell. I mean, I was young and dumb, but I wasn't that stupid. And so he said, pray this prayer. I prayed a prayer. He turned me around. He said, this little Scotty Becker, he comes today to accept Jesus Christ. Everybody that rejoices in his decision, uh, give God. And people clapped, and I thought. what's up clapping for and i'm like okay well now i'm in i'm in the club he's like okay we have baptism tonight come back where where your bathing suit i'm like bet bathing suit to church got baptized and i just figured i was in the club then we left there and we came to jacksonville in 1975 when i was 11 years old but before we left when i when i got saved the preacher gave me this bible he said, I want you to take this Bible, boy, and I want you to read it, and it's going to be your guide for life. And I kept this Bible ever since that day in fourth grade, 50 years ago, uh, however long ago it was. And I kept it, and it just became a part of my furniture. I didn't, I, I, I didn't do a lot of reading with it for many years, but it sat on my nightstand every day. I, we had to dust the whole house every Saturday. There's a moral in that story uh, for lazy children. Um, I'd wipe it down with a pledge rag, uh, keep, keep my Bible clean, and it just became part of my room furniture. And So I came to Florida with that in 1975 as an 11-year-old kid. Went back to riding the bus. One day, a man, we are playing out in the street. We are shooting baskets in the street. man came through. He called all his kids over to his car. That was when kids listened to adults. And he said, my name is Jack Rickenback, and I drive the church bus. And i am gonna be coming through this street tomorrow at 9 o'clock in the morning. I want all y'all to get on my bus. I'm going to have some candy for you. I'm going to tape some money under a lucky seat. <laughs> well, now we took it to a whole new level. Free candy is A, but money, I'm feeling lucky. I will see you at 9 o'clock. So I rode the church bus to a little church that's still in existence today called West Normandy Baptist Church on Normandy Boulevard. It was there as an 11-year-old. I first saw my gal. She was five. Her mother taught me in Bible school, uh, vacation Bible school, and was my Sunday school teacher. I still have my vacation Bible school certificate from 1975 as an 11-year-old when there was a handful of people in that church gail's mother works at that church her father is deacon in that church they've been in that church forever and a day they they sing in the choir and that was my introduction uh to the woman who ultimately would be the great love of my life and give me my children so i thank god for church buses and jack rickenback god see god god will take you around a lot of different places to get you to the right spot And this is how God is weaving my story from San Diego, California, to uh, Rayville, Louisiana. If you don't know where Rayville is, but you saw saw the show Duck Dynasty, Duck Dynasty is in Monroe. Monroe is what people in Rayville call uptown. Rayville has nothing but farms. If you want to buy anything, you got to go uptown. Monroe's where the rich, fancy, educated people live. that's That's a different story. From Rayville, Louisiana, to England, to Virginia, to Jacksonville, Florida, all the way, God, I'm going to tell you this, your whole life from the day you came in, God's been guiding you every step of the way. Saved or unsaved in this room, loving God or hating God, or anywhere in the middle, God has been navigating your life for His purpose. And I went to that church, and in the summer of 1975, the pastor stood up, and he said, you kids are about to go back to school. I want you to take your Bible to school every day. I challenge you. I'm like, well, don't dare me. <laughs> don't dare me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hard as rocks. Don't dare me, preacher. I, I, I'll take that. I carried this Bible. My, my first year in Jacksonville, Florida, they bust me. From a custom home subdivision on Normandy Boulevard that was brand new called Country Creek. They bust me down, its back when busing was still in play. They bust me to James Weldon Johnson, Seventh Grade Center on Kings Road. I walked in with my Bible every day. I didn't carry it on the bottom of my folder. I was just boom, 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 boom. Hop. Yeah. He dared me. I'm carrying my Bible every day to school. And people mocked me for it, and I'm like, whatever, my preacher dared me, and I'm going to carry this Bible, and y'all ain't going to make me go to hell. I got involved in the youth group, went to youth camp, carrying my Bible to school all through seventh grade. Eighth grade comes. uh, See, we had seventh grade centers back then. We had high school different. We had a junior high school, which was only eighth and ninth grade, Stillwell Junior High School. I go to Stillwell Junior High School in eighth grade. I carried my Bible to school. Two days. That mockery got too hard for me at Stillwell. I let that go. But when people started introducing me, I'm 12, 13 years old at this time. People start introducing me, uh, uh, putting drugs and alcohol in my face. In eighth grade, I told the same people that I ended up going to jail with later in life, I don't do that. I'm a Christian. They're like, yeah, what kind of, I'm I'm, I'm I'm a Christian boy. And I don't do those kind of things. In eighth grade, I get exposed to more and more and more and more and more. My sister's there in the ninth grade, and y'all see Dina now. She's a middle-aged uh, church administrator uh, with, with kids and grandkids. But my, my sister was always my hero, she was my role model. Uh, she, she, was, she was leading away from me. She was a year older than me, but she excelled me in every level. She was always the head cheerleader. Uh, she was always the class president. She was always the president of the National Honor Society. I'm just tagging along. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's my sister. Uh, she, was, she was always voted best looking. She she, she was winning beauty contests and tap dancing. She did a tap dancing ballet. She would never tell you all these things about herself. Tap dancing, ballet, horse riding as a child, doing the barrel, jumping over barricades on horses as a child. And so I'm like, cool, we're in the same school. My sister's in ninth grade. I'm in eighth grade. Uh, We're going to school together, and, you know, we're still going to church. And I'm not carrying my Bible school every day, but we're still going to church. We're still in the youth group. Uh, We're still, and the people in eighth grade, they're like, hey, uh, if those of y'all that went to Stillwell or any other school probably had the same story, they're like, hey, we're going to go out into the woods behind the baseball field and smoke some weed. You want to go? I'll do those things. I'm Christian told them all that in the eighth grade then I get into ninth grade and I'm coming back I'm still drug and alcohol free and and listen you ought to give praise if your eighth grader still drug and alcohol free and I my sister goes on to Ed White High School she's in the 10th grade I'm in the ninth grade it's still well by myself one day we're walking around we're hanging out in the neighborhood Country Creek was a brand new neighborhood I remember the sign where famous Amos is now on Normandy Boulevard a big billboard it said Country Creek Custom homes built by Richard Doste, starting at $24,999. Wouldn't you like to be able to buy a custom-built home by a home builder for twenty-five dollars right now? Oh, yeah. and we, they're building new houses, and we're just walking around the neighborhood looking at what, what's going on. And I remember it like it was happening right now in front of my eyes. We're riding our bikes. We sit down. We're sitting in this, in this driveway, at this house that they were building around the corner from our house. And my sister pulls out, and some of y'all, some of y'all have had this purple bag with a gold rope in it. She put, yeah, it was, but there wasn't no liquor in it. My, there wasn't no money in it. My sister, my hero, my leader, my 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 smart, intelligent, always the winner, says, "Hey, you want to smoke a joint?" And I, this, this, this God sent God's to I said, what are you talking about? We don't do that. We're Christians. Now, now, listen, I wasn't reading this Bible. This Bible's sitting on my shelf. I wasn't saying no prayers. I wasn't talking to God. I wasn't worshiping God. But they told me I was a Christian, so I took it. And then she said, <laughs> this, this is hilarious, uh, she She'd gone to high school and she'd met older people. She made that transition to first year of high school and she'd been influenced and corrupted by peer pressure. And now she's carrying a little crown royal bag with with some joints in it. And I'm like, are you serious? And she she said, yeah, it's not that bad. Bug does it all the time. If your child is hanging around anybody named Bug... Boo-boo, ice pick, Q-tip, eight ball, pookie. Cut that out. Let them know. We ain't raising you to hang around Ray Ray Pookie in them over here. Or Bug. She, her, her whole validation, and listen to how stupid young, young people are. I'm like, oh that Bug said it's okay. Let's let's get that. And right there in that driveway, I, I, I smoked my first marijuana joint. And the same thing happened to me that happened to every other young person that ever smoked a marijuana joint. Nothing, but I faked it. You're like, oh, I got so high the first time I smoked pot. No, you didn't. You pretended you did because you weren't inhaling properly. You'd have choked your little eight-grade eyeballs out. But it put me on a path. Those same people that I told no to in eighth grade, I was going out into the woods behind the baseball field in ninth grade. I'd been an athlete my whole life. I, I, I veered away from athletics and more into the drug culture. All through high school, I don't, I don't even know how I graduated high school. I, I missed uh, 28 days in my third nine weeks in my 12th grade year. 28 out of 45. It wasn't because I wasn't in school. I went to school every day, sold drugs in the morning, left. Went to the beach. I got involved in, 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 in drugs and alcohol. I began selling drugs at Ed White High School. Uh, my friend, who we would go and get them and, and sell them together, he ended up getting caught, getting sent to jail. He ended up doing a prison stint. Thank God he didn't implicate me in any way. Um, and that was my high school life. I, I floated through high school. Don't remember it. Couldn't tell you one thing. Don't remember a book that I read. Never carried a pencil or a piece of paper to school. You kids today, y'all can't get away with that. You, you wonder why old people are stupid? They didn't teach us nothing. We went to high school, and you think you didn't learn anything in high school man that that show came out. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I'm thinking, no. <laughs> no, that's thats you know that's the seventies for me, man, that's time I'm talking about was in the seventies it was it was my mind was blown out and, and shot, and that, and that's how I went through high school, all through high school, barely getting by. Drugs, alcohol, in and out of jail, getting arrested. Thank God that juvenile record gets sealed up, do, do, getting get uh, robberies, burglary, breaking and entering, stuff not worth talking about, uh, in and out of jail. My mama finally told me. She said, this is it. If you ever go to jail, don't call me. Don't. My mom was tired. The teacher's calling her. Uh, Scott is in all advanced classes. We haven't been honors classes. He's taking AP history because of how he scores on the tests, but he's just not applying himself. Any of y'all ever had one of them bright children that don't apply themselves? Frustrating. My mama, she told me, I ain't going to no more parent teacher conferences with you. Don't. They, they, I'm not coming up there to get you off. I, I was suspended so much. Uh, and listen, I don't know about y'all, but the nurse at my school knew me by first name because every day I wasn't trying to go to second period. I didn't like to teach her, so I just went and took a nap, faked a bellyache. That's just a little help for some of y'all kids. They got beds in school too. But that, that was my school existence. My mom told me after my third arrest, uh, she said, I'm not bailing you out anymore. I'm not spending no more money on you. You can get a public defender. You can stay in jail. Uh, I'm not, we're not going through this anymore. She was a single mother again. Her husband she was married to had left. And she's like, I've I worked too hard to put up with you. And she begged me to leave the house, and I, I, I can remember in my shame telling her many times, I'm not going anywhere. I can live here for free. And I love my mama to this day, and I'm trying my best to make up to her all the hell I put her through as an unsaved teenager. But that was the existence. I got out of high school, graduated by the skin of my teeth, uh, had no plans to go to college, had no plans to get a job. I was making too much money doing what I was doing. I, I, I was stealing and selling, and feeling okay about it. I've I had no guilt, no shame about it. All my friends were doing the same thing. If you'd have asked me then, was I going to go to hell? I'd have said no, because I walked in aisle in the fourth grade. One night I came home from a, listen, this this last five minutes. This is where it gets good. I, I walk home. I uh, drove home from, from a party one night on, on July 15th. I'm driving home. I got both windows down my head hanging out the window. That don't mean nothing to some of y'all, but to, to every alcoholic and every drug addict in the room, you know at three o'clock in the morning while you got the windows down, I'm trying to stay awake. I'm trying not to crash. Uh, I, 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 I'm trying to keep my eyes open so I can get into my driveway. I get into my driveway. My life had become so spiraled out of control, my mother had moved me into the garage. You can't live in my house. You sleep in the garage. You're too out of control. I, I go in, I go into the garage. I had my shirt off. It's hot July night. I've been out partying. Uh, drinking and drugging. I walk out. Uh, so you know, three thirty in the morning. What you gonna do after all all night drug fest? You gotta go in that kitchen and eat. And so I took my shirt off. I walked through my bedroom in the garage toward the house door. I threw my shirt down on, on my bed like that. Missed my bed altogether. Landed on my nightstand just like that. And that red Bible jumped out and just stared at me. And there I was. A young man looking at a Bible that I hadn't seen in years. I slept beside it every day. It never stared at me before. I slept beside it every day growing up. It it never called me to it before. I never made it to get a snack. I never went to the kitchen. I went over to this Bible, and I picked this Bible up off the shelf, and I sat down. And I started to flip through this book. I'd always been studious. there's things underlined in here from my childhood, and I began to flip through the pages of this book, and the spirit of the living God grabbed my heart and told me, "I need Jesus." I didn't say, "Oh, but I'm already saved." I didn't say, "But you know, I walked that aisle in, in, in the fourth grade. I got down on my knees, and I remember to this very second, I got down on my knees, and I said, Please, God, forgive me for my sins. I knew exactly how to lead somebody to Christ. I, I, I was working in the youth group uh, up, in, up until ninth grade when I, when I got into drug culture. And I knew exactly what to say, but, but I, put a, I put my own turn on it, and I said, God, I want you to save me for real, not like Jimmy. Jimmy was the pastor's son who... Uh, I did drugs with Jimmy was the pastor's son who OD'd on heroin in front of me, tied off, laying like this in his front yard. I said, I want you to give me real salvation like people in the Bible had. God saved my soul. I stayed up that whole night praying and singing the songs. They taught me riding the bus to church as a little kid. I stayed up all night reading scripture. I I, I got a little bit of sleep. I woke up. I, I read again. The phone rings. Remember back when we had phones, you had to walk to the wall, grab it off the wall, answer it? It was a buddy of mine, a friend of mine I told you about. Ended up going to jail. Didn't implicate me. He said, man, do you remember Ted Boone? I said, yeah, I remember Ted uh, from the park at Normandy. He said, yeah. I said, why? He, he said, well, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I said, bro, you ain't going to believe what happened to me. Last night I was coming. He cut me off. He said, listen, I ain't got time to talk, but I lost a bet to Ted. I got to go to church with him on Sunday, and I can't go to church by myself you're coming with me. I ain't sitting in there with all them people." It's exactly what I want to do. I'll be there. I'll be at your house. We'll ride with Ted. That Sunday morning. I go to my buddy Mark's house. Ted picks us up, drives us to church. Everybody in that youth group knew who we were. They side-eyed us the whole time. Stop side-eyeing sinners when they come into church. Made us feel like Outlaws. Come in, but I wasn't I wasn't faded by it because I'd had three days. I, I was in isolation from Wednesday to Sunday. I didn't leave my house. I didn't go to no parties. There were not no cell phones to look at. It wasn't no Internet to play on. We had three channels, and you had to twist the antenna on the roof to make them work. I was reading Bible. I go to church that Sunday morning. They say, if, if you want to get saved or if you've been saved and you'd like to make a public profession of faith, come right now. I walk down the aisle, and I told the preacher, I asked God to save me on Wednesday. And he did. They introduced me again. People clapped again. Why was the second time any different than the first time? Because the first time I didn't mean it with all my heart. And the Bible says that if you want to find God, you got to search for him with all your heart. Walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, didn't, didn't, didn't work the first time because I was just going through the motions. Didn't work the first time because it wasn't, I wasn't legit. God saved me on a Wednesday night beside my bed. I made a public confession of faith that Sunday morning at the Hillcrest Baptist Church on the corner of Plymouth and LaBelle off Cassett Avenue on the west side of Jacksonville under Pastor C. Benny Moore. And I began, I went back to church that Sunday night. And I met some young people that didn't side eye me, that embraced me. Listen to the story of Embrace, How to Change Your Life. They said, Hey, we got Bible study, uh, youth Bible study tomorrow night. Do you want to come back? I'm like, I got nothing else to do. I was so pumped up about this new life because I felt new. I felt clean before God for the first time in my life. I went to church that Monday night. They're like, hey, we're going to get together tomorrow night watch the men play softball. Hillcrest had a national championship softball team at that point. I'm like, bet, let's do it. I went to the softball game on Monday, on Tuesday night. Wednesday night, we had midweek Bible study. They said, we got door-to-door visitation tomorrow. I said, what's that about? Oh, we knock on doors and we go tell people they need to get saved? Let me in on that. I went to church on Thursday night. Friday and Saturday night, they had a, a a young people's ministry called the Peacemaker. I was there. So my first week of salvation, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday night. Back in church on Sunday morning. Back in church on Sunday night. Monday night, youth Bible study. Tuesday night, men's softball game. Wednesday night, midweek Bible study. Thursday night, door-to-door, soul-winning visitation. Friday Saturday night, peacemaker ministry with evangelist Bob Lynch. Sunday morning, back to church. Sunday night, back to church. Monday, youth Bible study. Tuesday, men's softball game. Wednesday, Midweek Bible study, Thursday, door to door salvation. Listen, well, nobody calling me asking me we ain't seen you in church. After three and a half weeks of that, every day, we find out there's no softball game. Well, it was a softball game, but they were traveling. Because y'all know y'all softball players, y'all don't give up. There's always a softball game, isn't that right? And they were traveling, and we were all like, What are we gonna do? It's the summer of 1981. I've been hanging out with the same group of Christians. We're praying together every time we meet. We wasn't wasn't carnal. We were literally praying and singing to God every time we met. And they're like, let's meet at Normandy Mall. And and we'll just read the Bible to each other. We met at Normandy Mall. We read the Bible to each other. Stood around a circle, held hands, and prayed together. That was my introduction to Christ. God, when he saved me, he changed my life forever. He, 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 He didn't just give me a little bit of church. He gave me true salvation and Stuck, And I want you to know, I don't care how many times you've walked an aisle or prayed a prayer, if it didn't stick, it ain't legit. If it didn't stick, it wasn't real. The Bible says what God does, He does forever. Some of you have walked an aisle, prayed a prayer. Some of y'all prayed to be saved in this church five, six, seven times. i baptized some of the same people eight times. Had a children's church pastor one time ask me, They they said, Pastor, what am I going to do? Every Sunday, my son and your kids walk the aisle and ask for salvation. I said, keep praying with them for salvation. Hopefully one day they'll get it. Because it's not the praying in it. It's not the walking in the aisle in it. It's not holding a preacher's hand. It's not letting people clap for you. It's being at a place in your life where you are so legit with God that you are so ready to give up on your sin and embrace God's Savior That you get the new birth. Some of y'all don't love God. You don't love church. It doesn't resonate with you. You you think people are faking the feeling of joy that they have because you've never had it. There's a realness in real salvation. And I want you to experience it. In closing, I want to read you one verse of Scripture. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus died, see, everybody believes in Jesus. He's the most documented figure in human history. More books have been written about Jesus than any other person that ever lived. Everyone believes in Jesus. Don't ask people if they believe in Jesus. Everyone believes in Jesus. Everyone Everyone believes that Jesus lived and that he died. What everyone doesn't believe is that he rose from the dead so that we could be saved. That's the gospel. And the Bible says that as many, in in, in John chapter 1 verse 12, that as many people as receive Jesus, they become the children of God. If I walked around this room right now and I put the microphone in everyone's face and I asked you, when did you become a child of God? Well, I can tell you when I became a child of God, on the side of my bed, July 15th, 1981. Kneeling down on the west side of Jacksonville right off Blanding Boulevard God changed me and he saved me forever. John 3 16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the last verse I'm going to tell you is this and this is the great news for everybody. Romans 10 9 says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Some of y'all confess Jesus. Some of y'all believe in your head that God raised you from the dead, but what about your heart? Are you saved today for real? See, because if you'd asked me in fifth grade, am I saved? Yep. Ask me in 6th grade, am I saved? I'm carrying my Bible to school every day. Well, who are you talking to? Ask me in 8th grade if I'm saved? Yeah, I'm saved. If you'd asked me in ninth grade, I said, yeah, I'm saved, but I ain't perfect and neither you, so leave me alone. If you'd have asked me in 10th grade if I'm saved, I'd have said, mind your business and buy some drugs. If you'd have asked me in 11th grade if I'm saved, you might have got shot. If you'd have asked me in 12th grade if I'm saved, you wouldn't have asked me that because you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had no question about it. But if I asked you right now, are you, I'd have told you I was saved through all those years of my life, but I wasn't. I knew the answers. I knew the speech. But I didn't have a personal, intimate, dynamic, ongoing relationship with God. Let me tell you something. Church is boring, and church folk are hideous. They're judgmental. They're negative. They're small-minded, petty, critical, self-hating, unaware fools. Tell them I said so. But Christianity is exciting. It's real, it's vibrant, it's active. Christianity is what makes church worth going to. Having a real relationship with God is what makes songs worth singing, a Bible worth reading, a God worth praying to, an offering bucket worth filling up. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe what the Reverend Billy Graham said and what we see taught in the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. The only one out of four. People sitting in this church right now are truly saved. I believe that with all my heart. We see that clearly laid out in Scripture. The Bible says that the road to to heaven is narrow, and few there be that find it. But the road to hell is wide, and there's a whole lot of people on it. Don't think because you're sitting in a church that you're a Christian. Sitting in a church don't make you a Christian anymore than sitting in a McDonald's parking lot makes you a Big Mac. Have you ever been born again? You say, Pastor, I've tried so many times. I've walked out so many times. i prayed and asked God to save me so many times. Let me tell you this. If you're not where you need to be with God, if you're not sure, if you don't know that you know that you know that you know that Jesus is real in your life, if you don't have an active, ongoing, dynamic, supernatural, interpersonal relationship with the one true God of this planet, then you need true salvation today. And He did the hard part so we could do the easy part. He bore our sins. On the cross, See, the Bible says that all have sinned and deserve to die. What did Jesus do on the cross? He died. He paid the price for us. And he said, if you'll just believe in his death and resurrection, that you can have eternal life. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to walk an aisle for it. He said, if you just call on his name, he will save you. Some of you tried that before and it didn't work. It wasn't your time. You weren't ready. But if you want salvation today, I believe if you just ask God to save you, he'll do it. Bow your head and pray with me. Dear God, thank you for saving me 39 years ago. Thank you for changing my life in a real way. God, I pray for every person in this room right now that has church without salvation. God, I pray for every person in this room that knows the story but doesn't have an active relationship with the Savior. God, I pray for every person in this room that is not saved. God, some wonder, some know they're not. God, I pray that you do your work your way. Only you can save, God. You said that no one can come unless your spirit draws them. I pray right now that the spirit of the living God will draw every lost person to a true salvation today. With every head bowed in the room and every eye closed, I just want you to keep your eyes closed for a second. I'm not going to keep you long. I just want to ask if there's anybody in this room that, that could honestly say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I don't have a story. I don't have a testimony. I, I, I know uh, God's not all that real to me. I'm, I'm not where I need to be in God. But pray for me. Pray, pray, pray for me, Pastor. Because one day soon, I want to find that real salvation. With no one looking around the room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd be honest enough to say, I, I, I need real salvation today, would you just put your hand up, all right? Just put it up, put it right back down, okay? Anybody else, all right, all right? All right. Anybody else? Let's pray. God, I pray for each one of these people that raise their hands. God, I pray, Lord, that you would save them for real. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you raised your hand or if you should have raised your hand and you didn't, I want to tell you this. You don't have to wait till some other time to get salvation. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If, I don't want you to leave this place and go out there get in a car wreck and die and go to hell forever. I want to give you an opportunity right now. The Bible said that if you'll call on the name of the Lord, He'll save you. If you're here and you're not sure about your salvation or you know you're not saved, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. There's no magic in this prayer, but if you mean it in your heart, God will know that you are serious. If you want to get saved, as I pray this out loud, you pray this silently in your heart. The Bible says God can hear the thoughts in your head. So as I pray out loud, you just pray something like this quietly in your heart dear God I believe in you I believe that Jesus lived died and was raised from the dead I believe that he paid the price for my sins please forgive me of my sins save me make me a real Christian if you prayed that prayer or something like that just now and you, and, and you asked God to save you and, and you really meant it I want everybody in the room to look up at me right now the last thing I'm going to tell you. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before people, I'll confess you before God on Judgment Day. God doesn't call secret disciples. It, he, the Bible says, whosoever believes in Him should not be ashamed. And we want to celebrate with you. We want to give God praise for you. We want to thank God for your spiritual birthday. If you just ask God to say, listen, July 15, 1981, that's my story. July 12, 2020 could be the year you got good vision." July 12, 2020 could be your story, but God said you can't, You can't deny Him. you got to confess Him. I want to help you get started right today. He said, if you'll confess me in front of people, I'll confess you on Judgment Day. If you ask God to save you today and you're not ashamed of it, I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than just take a stand for God. If you prayed that prayer and you asked God to save you just now and you believe in Him right, right now that He saved you, I want you to stand to your feet so we can celebrate with you. Many of you raised your hands. I want you to stand up and just say, I prayed that prayer today. All right? There, there we go. There we go. There we go. Hallelujah. Amen. Who else? Many of you raised your hand and said it. Don't deny Him right now. Hallelujah. Let me say something to each one of you that's standing right now. God sees you. God sees you. Somebody's going to try to tell you it's not real. You hold on to the God that knows it's real. You know that you asked Him to save you. He said if you would ask Him to save you, He would do it. I want you to get your life involved in a good church. I want you to start reading the Bible, giving your heart to God. God loves you. I'm going to pray. Everybody pray with me for these that are standing. God, thank you for saving these that are standing, God. I pray you fill them with your spirit, change them forever in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Go and put your hands together. Hallelujah.